Anyway, since we seem to be out of witnesses, I thought I'd drink a little. And off we go. Um, we're recording. Welcome again to episode five. We're actually at five of the Stradlar Cocktail with uh, Tyler Pollock here and Rob Harvey. And as has become tradition on the podcast, we start with Stradlar Cocktail. On the website for our firm, recipe is there. It's basically gin and sherry. Shake it on ice in a martini glass. Cheers. What are you drinking, Tyler? I'm having another old fashioned, same as maybe it was episode, maybe it was episode one or two. I can't remember. I think it was two. I have an old fashioned. Having another one. This you time I did not it. smoke the glass. It. Um, it, it was very meticulous. It was very meticulous. <laughs> So it's Friday afternoon, in sunny Lethbridge, and we're in our home offices, drinking, like lawyers do sometimes. Friday afternoon, yeah. In most, probably. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and we're going to talk about how to find a lawyer, which- That's a good, good topic. Be as easy as it sounds, or and maybe it's easier than it sounds, I don't know. So, yeah, you know what? I've been doing some marketing and I, they, lawyers are everywhere. If you Google it, man, the people, these lawyers, they, they know how to market. Uh, so but I think it maybe should be a little trickier because you want to get the right one. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, for those that can afford a lawyer, and that's a whole other discussion that we can have yeah. today. Uh, but even if you got a, a mitt full of money and you can retain counsel, uh, finding the right lawyer is not an easy uh, task, I think, for most people. Um, so what are your thoughts? You know, I, I waxed eloquently last episode, and I'm going to try to share or at least. Yeah, you know what, I got some that. feedback. I got some feedback from, uh, from one of our viewers. They want to hear a little more Tyler. <laughs> so hey, there you go. Good, good. Fantastic. So, all right, good. This is actually a topic. How to pick a lawyer is a topic that I cover in every one of my consults. And so when you go to hire a lawyer, uh, you, typically what you'll do is you'll have a consultation with uh, the lawyer that you think you might want to hire. Uh, and that's before they decide to take your case, or before you decide to retain them for anything further, oftentimes. And so that's one thing I cover. And so a lot of the time these clients, they come in, they think, oh yeah, well, I've made my choice and it's going to be him. Uh, that doesn't mean I've made the choice, uh, and it doesn't mean that they should have already made the choice. So this is a topic, how to pick a lawyer, that I cover at the closer to the end of all of my consults that I have uh, with new clients. And so I kind of go through a few things, and I say, uh, to resolve your legal dispute, there's sort of two sides to that coin. Uh, one side is litigation. That's the court. That means you want to pick a lawyer who's going to be able to go and handle uh, your matter well in court. Uh, but the other side of that coin is what we call, uh, or what's been called, alternative dispute resolution. And those methods, uh, mediation, negotiation, collaborative law, those are going to require a lawyer to have a different kind of skill set that at least to some degree is collaborative. And so I say, look, you want to try and find a lawyer uh, that's going to be able to kind of be able to do both sides of that coin, right? Uh, 
Um, and you want to make sure you have a lawyer that is going to be able to do more of that collaborative stuff uh, because, uh, you know, all lawyers, I think, would probably agree. That's how files get resolved. Typically, is, is through negotiation. Rarely are we running everything to a hearing or a trial. Uh, most issues and most files are going to get resolved one way or another uh, in some sort of a collaborative way, even reluctantly over time at expense if that's what it is. Um, so that's important. It's important to your lawyer have that skill set. On the other side, though, you want your lawyer to be able to handle your matter in court because ultimately you cannot compel the other party to resolve the issue in any other way but to set it in front of a judge if need be. Um, and, and so that's sort of the ultimate threat. That's the hammer you've got. And you want to be able to have that hammer. Whether or not you have to use it is another question. But if the other lawyer knows this guy doesn't do well in court, you all of a sudden don't have that hammer anymore and you lose that power, let's say. Uh, so, so you want a lawyer who's good at both those things. So then the question becomes, well, how do you find that? Uh, and I'll talk about that in a sec. But before we talk about that, the other aspect you want to think about is not just a lawyer who has both those skill sets, but a lawyer who has those skill sets in the particular area of law that you need. And so lawyers talk about dabblers, right? We talk about people who dabble. And so, uh, you know, we could say lots of lawyers tend to dabble in family law because there's a lot of work. You can get legal aid files, whatever it is. And so if they're trying to cover their overhead, pay their bills, make some money, a lot of the time people will dabble in family law because they can get those files. Um, the same might be said of criminal law. And I think criminal lawyers would say, look, we don't want people dabbling. They don't do as good a job as if you're committed to this one thing. Uh, people would say that I think often of real estate lawyers that, uh, uh, you know, everyone always wants to have a real estate deal or two on the side to try and generate some fees. That's commonly, uh, it's a common occurrence, I think, in our industry. Um, and so generally, I think people can be critical of these, what we call dabblers. And so I always tell my clients, and I don't really use the word dabblers, but I tell my clients, look, you want to find a lawyer that is interested in this area of law, that is good at this one particular thing that they do. And so, uh, you know, at least at our firm and, and, my, and me, myself, I focus on one thing. And basically all I do is divorce law there's, uh, or, or family law. There's, a, there's very few other little things I might do. And if I will do them, it's only because it's very closely connected to family law. Um, but anyways, that being said, I think you, you can narrow that down a little bit. Uh, what does your lawyer, what areas of practice does your lawyer uh, participate in? Um, and then as far as being able to tell uh, whether your lawyer is going to be good at these other sort of processes that require some form of cooperation or, or, uh, or collaboration, well, uh, there's some things you can look for. And so you can look for these things by looking at the firm website. You can look for them by talking to that lawyer at the consult or asking their staff when you book the appointment. Um, but what you want to look for is, well, do they have any extra uh, participation or experience or certification or training in any of these collaborative type processes. And so, you know, one thing I include on our website is that uh, I've got some experience in a negotiation competition that I took part in in law school, which was not all that long ago. Uh, and that gave me a lot of extra particular training in something that uh, we call interest-based negotiation. And so that's one form of negotiation that we use, and there's other forms. Uh, but I think that that can set one lawyer apart where you can say, okay, look, they've got some extra experience in this thing that we call negotiation. 
uh, you could look and see whether your, whether your lawyer is a uh, trained mediator. And of course, if they're a trained mediator, uh, chances are good that they're also going to be good at negotiation. They would also be good at being able to prepare you as a client to be able to uh, go and attend a mediation and participate uh, and make sure that your interests are best protected in that fashion as well. You can also look and see if they are a certified collaborative law professional. And if they're a certified collaborative law professional, that means that they're certified to take part in a certain type of law that, that, that we use to resolve uh, disputes where both lawyers uh, agree that they're not gonna go to court. They agree that they're gonna resolve this thing uh, by negotiation uh, with the involvement of some experts on the side. Um, and so if, if you've got a lawyer who's got these sorts of credentials, you can kind of be assured, look, they're gonna be good uh, or at least they have some training and expertise in that side of that coin. Um, and then I, I guess that kind of leads me to the question, well, how do we figure out, are they actually good at the other side of that coin? How do we know whether or not they, uh, they're going to be any good uh, at being in court? What do you think about that, Rob? Well, maybe just to unpack a couple sure. things said that I think bear sort of focus. Um, one of the things you talked about earlier was being wary of dabblers. Sure. And, and the parallel that I think I would use is you, you're a mountain biker. I mountain bike a little bit, probably not as much as you. If I want to buy a good bike, I'm not going to Walmart. They sell everything at Walmart. You can buy groceries. You can buy toiletries. You can buy makeup. You can buy hairspray, you can buy everything. Um, do they know anything about selling a good bicycle? Do they sell good bicycles? And do they know anything about good bicycles? I think uniformly, anybody who's spent any time riding a bike would go, no, they don't have clue one, right? Because they try to do all things for all people. So right. would you agree that that's one of the issues that people, if they need a lawyer, whether it's a family lawyer, it's a criminal lawyer, you don't want to go to a Walmart lawyer. Yeah, hey, that's a good way of putting it. And I guess you could apply that analogy to our viewers. You could apply that to whatever your thing is, whatever you are passionate about, your hobby, your job, whatever it is, apply it there. Because that, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. So then the other thing that you mentioned that I think is kind of interesting is this idea of lawyers that are trained collaboratively or trained as mediators. And it's interesting, I... I took my initial collaborative training, I think it was in 2001, something like that. And we were the first group, one of the first groups in Canada. We had a guy come up from California, a guy named uh, Chip Rose, who trained us in Medicine Hat. And uh, when we started this thing, the litigators were losing their minds, the people that didn't do any collaborative. One of the things you would hear constantly is, collaborative is for lawyers that don't have the guts to litigate. And so uh, what do you have to say to that? Because and, and the reason I raise that is, Tyler, in your four years or whatever you've been practicing, one of the things I've heard about Tyler is he's like a junkyard dog in court, that he holds on to things with a great tenacity and uh, lawyers know that if, if you, know, you dig your teeth into a litigation, you're not walking away from it. And yet you're telling us about collaborative law that you've been trained in in mediation. So how do you juxtapose those competing, if they are competing, uh, focuses on resolution? 
Is it possible to be both? Not only is it possible. And a good and a good collaborator or a good uh, resolver of problems without, you know, uh, conflict. You know what, not only is it possible, but it is important that you're good at both those things as a lawyer and being good at one is gonna make you good at the other, right? Yeah, if you're good at litigation, if you're good at being in court, you gotta know what the law is. You gotta be quick on your feet. Uh, and those sorts of skills uh, are gonna make you really good in a mediation where, you know, I got two people sitting in front of me who have a dispute uh, and, and, you know, they can't come up with some creative solutions and they've got this bizarre problem that I didn't see coming. Well, you know, and I'm pretty good at my, on my feet, uh, cause I've got this litigation experience under my belt as, as limited as it may be. Uh, so that, uh, that skill is going to transfer over and make me good one way, uh, and the other, but vice versa as well. Right. Uh, if you're good at, at being able to collaborate and, and work with people and generate ideas, uh, that can transfer over to a courtroom. Uh, and come across to a judge is making making your case look very reasonable. Um, so yeah, I think it is important, and you certainly need to be good at both. So it's not uh, either sure. or, both and. Both and for sure it is. Now, hey, if you know that you don't want to go to court, and you just want you know, and both you and your spouse are committed, uh, you know, we're not going to go to court. We want to uh, have a better dispute uh, resolution mechanism. Uh, hey, giddy up. Maybe you don't need a lawyer that's going to be able to go and, and, and be in court uh, or vice versa. If you know, hey, you know what, that's what I want to pay for. I really want to spend lots of money to go through that process. Uh, maybe you don't need somebody that's particularly good at the other thing. But I think if you, and I think generally clients at least think that they want uh, the best uh, mechanism to resolve their dispute that is in their favor as much as possible with the least amount of expense, right? This crazy balance, uh, then you want somebody who's going to be good at both sides of that for sure. So then we get back to how do you find that, that, uh, that Renaissance lawyer, if you will, right. that lawyer who can walk both sides of the, of that fence. And you know what, all those things that I mentioned, all those sort of credentials or whatever you want to call it that you can look for, that's going to be indicative uh, as to whether or not they're going to be good at uh, these sort of collaborative methods of dispute resolution. But it's not necessarily the case that they are going to be good at that just because they have those credentials, but, but it's going to certainly be indicative that they are for sure. Okay. Yeah. So you look for the credentials, your suggestion is, and I think I agree with you, if a lawyer hasn't had some training in alternate dispute resolution, and in, in fact, if they aren't uh, a mediator as a part of their practice, or at least trained as a mediator, I think I'd be leery, personally. Yeah. I don't think, personally, they're going to be as effective as those that do have the training. But I think it's fair to say that there are people that become trained that don't necessarily exhibit skill. Would you, would you agree with that? Yes. Certain names are jumping to mind. I'll keep them to myself. <laughs> yeah, both of us. Um, so then that, so the first step is, okay, spend some time online getting to know the person you want to hire. If they say they do 10 different kinds of law, run away. Um, if they don't seem to have any uh, training or uh, sense of, of uh, understanding uh, non-litigation resolution, maybe run away from that. 
but then how do you identify the 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 contenders from the pretenders if we could call it that because that's something i've thought about i've thought about quite a bit um but what are your thoughts okay my thoughts are a little simplistic on this it is tough to know uh you know, a general reputation uh, can be developed, especially in a smaller community like ours. And so, you know, asking around word of mouth is probably not a horrible uh, indication as to whether or not you're able to find a good litigator. Uh, you could look, of course, uh, online and see, does that lawyer have reported decisions? And that's, you know, court decisions that have, uh, I guess, at least in some way, clarified the law such that they need to be reported and published. Um, so that's another thing you could look at. Um, that's going to weed out some people who are more junior. Uh, and I also think that uh, particularly in family law, that can be a, a little bit problematic nowadays. I think we're getting less and less reported decisions. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that's one thing you could do, uh, see about reported decisions. Um, so where do they find these reported decisions and how would they find out if a lawyer has what you'd call reported decisions? So uh, reported decisions are going to be published usually in one of two places online. Uh, there's a website, Canly, uh, and uh, there's a website, Westlaw. Westlaw, uh, I think, is probably exclusively just paid subscriptions. So if you don't have that, you might not be able to access it. Uh, Canly though, uh, public can access, and you could search a lawyer's name to see if they have reported decisions. Now the trouble is they might have a middle initial in there or not, or uh, they might be going by a different name than they used to. Uh, so it's not, you won't necessarily find it, and it might not be the easiest, but that would be something you could look at, I suppose. Yeah, I'm just out of curiosity, I, 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 I searched my name on Canly. And for those that are interested, www.canlii.org. Um, and I just uh, looked up um, Harvey and Alberta, and I got uh, 231 cases. Now, um, a lot of them are not me. Um, Harvey versus Watchtower, I've never sued the Jehovah's Witness Church. Um, R versus Harvey, a criminal case, have never been charged with a criminal case. Um, but uh, some of the cases show up. There's a case called Stimson and Stimson that was entertaining, uh, that I was counsel on. Uh, you know, so it's, you know, and I'm flipping through, I'm now down to 20. I was uh, a bencher and I made a decision on a lot of things, so I'm not really a lawyer. Henningham is a case I was on. So I'm, you know, 30, 40 cases, you know, I'm, I'm seeing two or three cases I've been reported. I know there's, I think there's 12 or 15 or something like that. So, so that's an imperfect way, but that's something you can do. Um, now we have access to a more specific legal research tool called uh, Westlaw Next. And there's also Quicklaw that you can narrow it down to lawyers named Harvey or Pollock or whoever. And if you can get access to that, that gives you some idea. What else can people do? Like, what about what about Yelp? Isn't Yelp a pretty good place? I mean, you know, customer satisfaction, isn't that maybe a good place or Google reviews? 
uh, would that be a good place to find the best lawyers, see who has the highest rating? So I've used Google reviews to pick uh, uh, vendors of different products I've purchased in the past. Uh, and you know what you find when you see reviews of businesses or lawyers or whatever, you're going to find some polarizing opinions, typically, if there's enough reviews, right? You're going to get reviewed as a lawyer or a business. You're going to get reviewed by people who really love the thing that they'll come for the product. And you get reviewed by people who just detest what happened. Uh, and maybe that uh, was in the lawyer's control and maybe it's, it wasn't. And, and in fact, most of the time it probably wasn't. So you never really know what you're going to get out of those reviews. The other issue is that, uh, and I hate to admit it, justice isn't perfect. And so you might get a really good outcome uh, for somebody as a lawyer, uh, and I'm not saying you or me, but as a lawyer, you might get a really good outcome, but you might not have really performed all that well, or you might perform really, really well and not get a very favorable outcome. And, and sometimes that's the, the justice being imperfect, or sometimes that's the, the client's position just being a really uh, tough position. Uh, so those are just not good sources to try and find a lawyer. These Yelp, Google reviews, whatever it is. Not great, yeah. Yeah, one of my I frustrations think. is, you know, and I've practiced a little longer than you. I'm a bit of an old guy, but I've seen lawyers in court that have done a masterful job that lose, that have done a masterful job and did not appear to be engaging in what I would call histrionics before the court. And their client may not appreciate how good that job was. And the flip side is, I've seen lawyers succeed almost in spite of themselves after making buffoons of themselves in a courtroom. But because they made a lot of noise and appeared to be bold in asserting themselves before a judge, the clients thought they were awesome. And so that's one of the things that I worry about whenever I see a, a kind of a Yelp review or a Google review is that client may not have a very good grasp on what it is they're getting, what it is that they're not getting. So I would be suspect. I mean, even for restaurants, to be honest, yeah. I don't look at Yelp anymore. I find it asinine because the things that people complain about are ridiculous. Um, and so you really don't get a good feel. So one of my thoughts, we talked about this earlier. Um, if I was really in a jam, particularly if I'm in a new community, I don't know people very well. I might contact a lawyer in a small firm that doesn't practice anything remotely close to the area I'm looking for, which sounds maybe odd, but my experience is lawyers, even in a city like Calgary, let alone Lethbridge, are a pretty small community. And they know the inside scoop on shit. They know pretty well who the better lawyers are and who the shitty lawyers are. So if it were me, I might call a criminal lawyer that doesn't do any family law or a commercial lawyer that doesn't do any family law and say, can you give me three names of lawyers? and and what I would ask them is lawyers that are good at what they do, they're good in court, but that don't start fights where they don't need a fight. That is to me, the balance you really want. Yeah. A lawyer that uh, 
walks softly and carries a big stick, in other words, to borrow a phrase. And I think those non-family lawyers, you know, in the area of family law, would have some pretty good insight into, here are three names of people that I would recommend. And if you talk to two or three of those non-family lawyers, you're probably going to find at least one or two names that seem to pop up again yeah. and again. And that would stand you in pretty good stead, I think. That's a good idea. I mean, if we got a call, hey, I need a criminal lawyer, and we don't do any of that, uh, I know the two, maybe three in Lethbridge, I, I would say, yeah, these are the ones to go to. Uh, and yeah. it's because I know the community. I've seen these people in court. Uh, I know their reputation. I know what they uh, are like uh, in their interactions with the Crown prosecutors. I have a bit of an inside scoop. That would be so, that's a, you know what? And for a referral, I'm not charging someone for that. Uh, that's some really good free advice. That's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. So maybe we, uh, we, maybe we start a publication of referred lawyers from non-lawyers in that area. <laughs> maybe a website. Uh, I'm trying to think who's going to sue us. Which reminds me, you know, there's another source that people go to. Uh, and this always makes me laugh. If you look at lawyers online, every once in a while, you're going to see things that say uh, best lawyer, right? Oh, yeah. Certified by best lawyer or found to be a best lawyer by my peers, right? Um, ranked as, uh, you know, an excellent lawyer by Martindale Hubble, right? And if you go look at Martindale Hubble, which is one of the, the largest, longest lasting legal publications in, uh, in North America, not just Canada. They purport to be uh, a listing of peer-reviewed, right? What we're talking about actually, peer-reviewed lawyers um, with, with, you know, ratings. And, and it's really funny because two of the longest lasting lawyers in Lethbridge are myself and Lori Anerchuk. We're two of the people who have been around for a few years. And without being too immodest, I would think we're fairly capable. But when I went and looked at Martindale Hubble, just out of curiosity, um, I found, oddly enough, that neither Lori nor myself are listed as family lawyers at all. Right? <laughs> not at all. Not just that we're not CBV rated or whatever they call it. Right. We're not even in there, right? So they're missing the two major players yeah. in Lethbridge. You know who is in there? I'm just going to run through this because I found it hilarious. Uh, Rod Fong hasn't practiced family law <laughs> in over a decade. Marin Gerhardt retired seven years ago. Daniel Shapiro's retired. Jerry Legrandier has been a judge for 17 years. Jerry Legrandier <laughs> is the person Martindale Hubble says, you should go hire this guy. Uh, yeah, he If you'll take your money to give you a result, but I don't think yeah. he's good nowadays. <laughs> Bob Babke passed away 10 years ago. He's a person you should hire, though, according to Martindale Hubble. And I could go on. Um, so when you see these websites or these so-called peer-reviewed sites that rate lawyers, they're mostly total, utter bullshit, right? They are not to be trusted. They are to be avoided. And some of the websites, most of the websites, in fact, in my opinion, Martindale Hubble is a good example, in my opinion. On some level, you got to pay for the rating. At some level, it's like, uh, who's the auto, uh, J.D. Power, right? Oh, yeah, J.D. Power right? Associates. J.D. Power, right? Well, J.D. Power doesn't let you uh, use their advertising unless you pay them. Now, 
they don't get paid to rate, for example, GMC as the best trucks in North America, but GMC runs a shitload of advertising and they pay JD Power for that benefit. So, and I think these uh, so-called peer-reviewed websites and publications are- It's enough to would, warrant some skepticism. I would, I would encourage people to completely ignore them. And if you see a website, and I hate some, there's some great lawyers actually that use these on their websites. Best lawyer, you'll see that. And they are good lawyers. But whenever I see it, I always feel a little embarrassed for them. Because, you know, it's like. That's what you're relying on. You know, it's, it's like their mom gave one of those little sticky stars on the fridge. <laughs> Right. You got see, that, it looks really good. Got that legitimacy <laughs> to it. Uh, so, so anyway, the, you know, the, those are some warnings I, I would give people. Um, so there we go. So we've talked a little bit about uh, not dealing dabblers. Yeah. Um, Make sure you get a lawyer who's good, kind of both sides of the coin. Resolution. Yeah. Um, avoiding online rating places of one side or another, even specialized rating places. Yeah. Asking lawyers for recommendations, asking clients, although their client's perspective, I think is gonna be a little bit um, yeah. uncertain. Other things that you would recommend for people trying to find proper legal counsel. Uh, you know, one thing that I come across and, and another thing I deal with in all of my consults is, well, how much does this lawyer charge in an hour? Uh, what's their, what's their billable rate and what, how much do they want for a retainer? And so that might be a little bit indicative uh, of how many years experience a lawyer has. It's not always necessarily indicative as to how good a lawyer you're going to get. Uh, so I think uh, you got to be cautious about that. If a lawyer charges more per hour, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to pay more for the overall result. It might mean you're going to get a better result. It may not mean you're going to get a better result. Uh, uh, but it might mean uh, that they're able to work more efficiently at getting towards that result. Although, again, it may not. And if they charge a lower amount, I would say that doesn't necessarily mean they're a horrible lawyer or a bad advocate or uh, unable to do any of these things. Um, so I would, I would, I would cautious, caution people not to pay too close attention to that. You know, you're going to pay a difference for result overall between a $200 lawyer and a $600 an hour lawyer. Um, uh, you know, there's a good chance, but, uh, but you know, everything's kind of within reason. And, and, and I would say, don't worry as much about that. Yeah. I, I think the difference between the 300 or the $350 lawyer and the five or $600 lawyer may not be as dramatic as you think, but I think it's, it's, it's illustrative. If your lawyer is willing to work for free or without a retainer, um, probably are not very good at what they do. So there's a difference between saying, I'm a $350 lawyer and I want a $3,000 retainer, or somebody saying, I'm a $500 an hour lawyer and I want a $5,000 retainer. Both those lawyers are very firm in their business model because they can be. Right. And I've had this, I've had people kick tires with me and they'll phone and they'll say, well, so-and-so said they'll do an uncontested divorce for $1,000. And I'll quote them, you know, right now, probably 1700 bucks or something like that. And I'll say, well, I charge $1,700 because I can, because that's what my time is worth. And you may be fine with the $1,000 divorce. You might be. 
So, you know, go get the thousand dollar divorce. Um, I can tell you as, as a bench chair, I used to be a bench chair with Law Society. I used to sit on discipline hearings. I still do practice reviews for the Law Society. And one of the things we find quite often is that lawyers that are struggling often don't pay attention to their business. They have significant receivables. They don't get retainers. They don't ask their clients for money because they're afraid they won't get another client the next day. So if your lawyer sounds like, it's like everything, right? You hire somebody to do some work in your house and they don't ask you for a deposit and they don't quote you a price. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out later. Or I'll, uh, I'll bill you whatever you think is fair. They're probably a piece of shit, right? Same with the lawyers. If you go to a lawyer that doesn't want a retainer and is going to engage in some significant work, and it's a different thing. If you go to a lawyer and they give you a free consult. I don't do that personally, but lawyers that do, there's nothing wrong with that. So it doesn't mean they're a bad lawyer because they'll give you some free advice. But if you're going to go to court and they don't want money up front, you probably don't want to go to court with them. So I think your point's well taken that um, be wary of the good deal that's too good. Yeah. Because there's a reason. That's right. A good lawyer is not going to work for free unless no. expressly pro bono. And, and I've done that. Yeah. I've done some of that where due to circumstances, occasionally, not often, but occasionally, you know, I'll take this pro bono, which means without getting paid. But unless the lawyer is giving you a special, you know, um, benefit because of your circumstance if they're like i'll bill you later walk away yeah you're better off going to court probably on your own uh than with the cheap lawyer um so i think those are all good points i mean it's, you know, it's a weird thing right because the practice of law is this really odd club it's this ultimate insiders club where the lawyers and the judges who were all former lawyers, they're the only ones that really know the players really. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they don't. And even as, as a, as a member of the law society, we're, we're prohibited from getting too uh, caustic or negative about our peers or about the system, about the judiciary. Right. But there's, it goes beyond that. There's a clubbishness in what we do where sometimes we need to be a little more direct like straight law right we need to we need to say you know what like there are some great lawyers there are some shitty lawyers and this is not a shock so let's not pretend that just because you got a law degree and the law society of alberta has given you a certificate you're competent to practice law you're allowed to you might be well, that's true. <laughs> right. So, so those are some of our hints, I think, Tyler. I appreciate, uh, I hope I haven't talked. You know what? I started not talking and then, and I started talking again. Ah, it's been pretty good. It's been a good time. Yeah. So we're at, uh, mm -hmm. we're at half an hour, just over a half hour. All right, we're going to call it. Yeah. So, um, again, as I've said, and I, I think we've had a couple of comments, but nobody has emailed me. And uh, have you had any emails about our? No emails. No, I've seen some comments. Uh, I've had a few 
people, a few people say, oh yeah, this or that, but uh, no, no questions. So if you want us to answer a question, send it to me. If you have a question about something we've been talking about, we welcome comments and questions. And you can do that on the YouTube channel uh, or uh, our website is on the channel and both of us have our contact information on our website. Send us an email. And if you want it to be shared, uh, tell us. And next uh, week, we'll say we got an email from either somebody if they want us to use their name or from somebody who'd rather remain nameless. But their question is blah, blah, blah. Because I'm sure if you have a question, there's a million people out there with the same question. Yeah, absolutely. So that's our show for today. Cheers. Enjoy the Cheers. Weekend. Enjoy um, the long weekend, everybody. I was a little late getting this out last week. I told Tyler I will have it out by uh, Saturday morning. And so if I don't, um, I guess nothing will happen. But I'll feel badly and Tyler will make fun of me. So uh, when you wake up Saturday morning, you should be able to get your dose of straight line. Till next week. Till next week.